you are a guest, welcome. I'm so glad that you are joining us. My name is Byron. I get the privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. Hey, quick show of hands. Who likes finding a good deal? Anybody like looking for a good deal? What's the best, what's the best deal? The best is the buy one, get one. Isn't that the best deal? BOGO, right? Like whether you're shopping online or at the grocery store, like you see buy one, get one, you have to get one, amen, right? So I gotta buy one, get one. You're in luck because today is a, a two, four day because today, not only do we start a brand new book of the Bible, but we also get to celebrate baptisms. Who's excited for Baptism Sunday? Man, it's so exciting. My favorite thing to do at Redemption is to study books of the Bible. If you are new, that's the primary way in which we preach here. We pick a book of the Bible and then we walk verse by verse, line by line through that book until we finish the book and then we pick another book. Well, today we start a new book of the Bible. We're starting the book of Acts in a series that we're calling The Church. And we're gonna go line by line through 28 chapters over the next 80 weeks and 18 months. That's right. We're gonna be working through this for quite some time. So I'm really excited. But also we get to celebrate baptisms today. And so you get a two for one special. So open up your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. And here's why we're doing this series. Acts is the history of the early church. It tells us how the church started. It tells us the origins. It tells us who started it and what happened in the early church. But here's what you need to understand. It's be a thought that's going to guide the entire series. And here's what it is. If God did it for them, then he can do it again. If God did it then, then he can also do it for us. Because here's what you need to understand when you come to the Bible. The Bible is not an old book. It is an eternal book. That it is timeless. Therefore, it is always timely. The Bible doesn't just tell us what happened. The Bible tells us what happens. It's not just what God did then, but it's what God did does and what God wants to do in our lives. And I believe it's also what God wants to do in our church. If God did it then, then he can do it now. As we study through the book of Acts, you're going to see all sorts of amazing stories. You're going to see stories of people getting saved and revivals and cities being transformed. You're going to see sick people be healed. You're going to see dead be raised to life. You're going to see miracles happen. God answering prayers. And here's my question for you. Does God still want to do those things today? Does God still want to answer prayers? Does God still want to see cities transformed and lives changed? Does God still want to see revival? Does God want to see healings and miracles? Yes, why? Because if he did it then, he can do it now. If he did it for them, then he can do it for us. Because this isn't just what happened. This is what happens when we become the church that God has created to be. And here's why this is so important. 18 months is going to walk us right up to the grand opening of our new building. And so we're gonna get started on that sometime next year. And when we finish Acts, we're gonna be ready and prepared to be the church 
for Southeast Texas, the church that people are looking for. Because you know what? The worst thing would be if we open up this new building and we have 1,200 seats available and we have an entire next-gen wing. The worst thing would happen is if people show up and we are not ready for them. The worst thing would happen is if we get a room filled with a 1,000 people, but when they come through our doors, they don't experience the church. Because the last thing that this city needs is just another church, just another event, just another thing to add to their already busy schedule. The last thing they need is just another 30-minute pep talk to get them through the week because that's not good enough. They need the church. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need the power of the Spirit. They need God's people to love them, to serve them, to help them, to bless them, to care for them. The last thing they need is just something else to do or somewhere else to be they need the church and so for the next 18 months we're going to be learning what it means to be the church and we're going to study it through the book of acts and the big idea is if god did it then he can do it now if god did it for them he can do it for us and so if you have your bible open up me to acts chapter one and the sermon title today is called why does the church Exist? That's a great question. Why does the church exist? A lot of young people are asking that. Like, why does the church exist? Why are you here right now? Right? Why, why did you wake up this morning, get in a fight with your wife, lose your child's shoes, throw them in the car, skip breakfast, and then get a stale donut and sit here and listen to me talk? Like, why are you here? How, why is any of this here? You ever thought that question? Like, why do we do what we do? Well, the book of Acts answers it in Acts chapter one, verse one. I'm gonna give you five reasons why the church exists. We're gonna read it all. We're gonna work our way through it. And then we're gonna baptize some people, amen? So here we go. In the first book, which means Acts is the second book. So the author of Acts also wrote another book of the Bible and that book was called Luke. So can anybody guess what the author of Acts Acts, his name is. You guys, you guys are smart, all right? Like last week, I gave you the answers on the test. In the first book, so Acts is the second book, O Theophilus, he's the benefactor. He paid for Luke's ministry. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles with whom he has chosen, he presented himself alive after his sufferings and many proofs, appearing to them 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered for them not to depart to Jerusalem, but to wait until the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water. How awesome is it when we get to practice what we preach? We're preaching on baptisms and people are getting baptized today. That's just one of the awesome things about teaching line by line through the Bible is I can't plan this, but God can. And so God always has something awesome in store when you preach his word. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days for, from now. So when they all came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Underline 
that verse, get it tattooed this week. It's important. It's the key verse to understanding all of the book of Acts. And then he had said these things as they were looking on. He was lifted up in a cloud. The cloud represents the Shekinah glory. It is the presence of God from the Old Testament, the same way that the cloud showed up for Moses as they're wandering through the wilderness on the transfiguration. The cloud shows up. It's the presence of God. God's manifest glory shows up and Jesus is lifted up into the sky. A cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went and behold, two men, these are angels, were standing with white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go up to heaven. It was seven years ago, my wife and I, we planted Redemption Church. Seven years ago, we gathered a little launch team and we were trying to find a place in which we can have church. The news actually ran a story on us. They called us the Nomad Church because we didn't have a building. We didn't have any people. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a clue about what we were doing, but we did have a prayer and a dream. And we gathered some people together and then we found a place to meet. And we met in a bar on Crockett Street. Okay, raise your hand if you were back from the Crockett Street days. You come to church back in those days? There we go. There we go. We met in a bar. You can have church anywhere, right? And so we, we met in a bar. We were there for three years. The bar's closed down. And so we found this space, and we've been here for three years. And then this place is too small. Now we're at four services. So we bought a bigger building. We're going to be renovating this summer. And that new building is going to last us about 10 years as our church continues to grow and starts other services and campuses. And people ask, say, well, how old is your church? We baptized over 350 people, but how old is your church? And I know what they're asking. They want to know, how old is your church? And I would say seven years. But reality is, redemption is not seven years old. Redemption is 2,000 years old. That I didn't start this church. Ashley didn't start this church. The Lord Jesus started the church. See, what we find in the book of Acts is not just the history of the church, but the legacy of the church. The legacy that we receive and the legacy that we leave and pass on to the next generation. Because the only reason that you and me and redemption is here is because somebody else told somebody else about Jesus. See, the church is actually 2,000 years old, and it was Jesus' idea. Jesus invented the church. Jesus dreamed up the church. Jesus started the church. Jesus planted the church. Listen, church was not man's idea. The church was God's idea. And as we live in a day and age where people are criticizing and, and bashing and, and condemning the church, I don't know about you, but I want to be about the things that Jesus is about. And I want to dedicate my life to the things that Jesus dedicated himself to. And what we see through the book of Acts is that Jesus Jesus started the church and Jesus also continues and sustains the church. And so we're going to be learning about how we can be the church that God has called us and God has created us to be. And here's how the book of Acts goes. It starts off what we see today with just 11 people, just, just 11. And then today what we have is 3.3 billion people. Like how did it go from 11 to 3.3 billion? Well, that person told somebody else and then next week they have a prayer meeting and 120 people join and they just pray and pray and pray. And then Acts chapter two, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up and 3,000 people join the church. It's a mega church in a month, all right? 
And then all of a sudden, the, by chapter four, there's 5,000 people and the Lord keeps adding to their number day by day because that person told that person who told this person. And then they started a church and then they sent out missionaries, Acts chapter 12. They start a missionary movement, sending missionaries all across the ancient world. And then another man named Paul, he's gonna get radically saved and a whole lot more people are gonna meet Jesus. And then at the end of the book, in Acts chapter 28, it's over. It ends abruptly like this. There, there's no resolution at the end of the book of Acts. It's just, it's just done. You say, well, why, why would that happen? Oh, because the story's not over. The story continues with you and me. Because we are not living in Acts 28. We're living in the Acts 29. We're continuing the mission and the ministry and the work of the church. Why? Because if he did it for them, he can do it for us. If he did it then, he can do it again. And God is continuing to work through his people for his purposes, and that's what we call the church. And so we're going to study over the next 18 months what it means to be a church. We're going to start off with a message today, giving five reasons why the church exists. The first thing is this, because of the man, Jesus Christ. Like you need to understand this, that the church is supposed to reach people, but it's never about people. It's always about a person and his name is Jesus. It's always only totally solely nothing but about Jesus. As we study through the book of Acts, you're going to meet a lot of different characters. We've already met several characters just in this part. We've met the apostles and then we've met Theophilus who hired a man named Luke. Luke was the, the, the adventurer, the, the guy who's journaling and investigating the claims of Jesus and the disciples. And then we meet Theophilus. He's the, the benefactor. He paid, he bankrolled the entire thing. Then we're gonna meet Peter. We're gonna meet Paul. We're gonna meet Silas, Barnabas. We're gonna meet a woman named Dorcas, right? A lot of Bible names, right? You're gonna name your kid Peter and, and John and James. Nobody's naming their daughter Dorcas, right? But here's the fascinating thing about the book of Acts. None of them are the main characters. No one's the main character in the book of Acts. Like Peter, he's not the main character. Like Paul, not the main character. Barnabas is not the main character. Dorcas is not the main character. You know why? The main character is who? It's Jesus. They're all just playing their part, pointing people to the person that matters the most, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says here. It says, in my first book, O Theophilus, I am writing about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to. When Jesus resurrected, that wasn't the ending of his ministry. That was just the transition of the beginning of his ministry. Jesus is still teaching and doing. It's just not coming from his hand. Now it's coming through ours. The church is the hands and feet of Jesus continuing to do the things that Jesus did. And what is our job? Our job is to point people back to Jesus. That, that's, that's our job is to, is to point people to the one who saves. Listen, the church cannot save, only Jesus saves. The church cannot change, only Jesus can change a person's heart. You and me, we cannot do it on our own, but we know somebody who can. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Jesus. The church should never be about a, a person, but it should always be about Christ. 
It should never be about us. Like we live in a day where it's all about celebrities and clicks and likes and shares and and viral posts and preachers with sneakers and prophets with watches. But listen, my friends, it's not about who's on the platform. It's not about who's, who's got the ministry. It's not about any of those things. What's it about? It's about us pointing people to Jesus. Listen, when the church becomes about us, it stops being the church. But when the church is all about Jesus, that's when the church begins to make a difference. I say this all the time, and we need to get this in our heads. Redemption, please understand that, that there is not one person in this room who is more important than another person in this room. Okay, like just because I'm on the platform doesn't mean I'm more important. Like this is just my job. Peter had his job. Paul had his job. Dorcas had hers, all right? You have yours. I got mine. Like you work in a school, like I, I work here. You work at a refinery or a plant, like that's great. That's, that's your role. And that's just as important what you do as what I do. And so what we say here at Redemption is from the parking lot to the pulpit, everybody has a place. And our job together is the ability to point people, not to us, but to Jesus. That's what the church does. It's all about the man Jesus Christ. Number two, it's the message of the gospel. Here in verse three, it talks about him for 40 days, showing them many proofs about, what's the word? It says the sufferings. Okay, how many of you last week for Easter, you watched the Passion of the Christ? Anybody? Anybody watched the Passion of the Christ? Preparing your heart. How many of you ever seen the Passion of the Christ? Okay, when I was a kid, it was the only R-rated movie I was allowed to watch. (laughs) Right, you say passion, that's a weird word. Like, it doesn't seem very passionate, Right? Like there was no like rah, rah, re excitement. Like when you think passion, you think excitement. And then you just see Jesus being beaten, bloodied and battered, nailed to a cross. Like why is that called passion? Here's why. Because that word passion actually means suffering. Okay. And so it's the suffering of Christ. What is he talking about here? The death, burial, resurrection. My friends, this is the the message of, of the gospel. And it's the message that the church for 2,000 years has been preaching, that Jesus is God become a man. Because of our sin, we've been separated from God, and we could not make and earn our way back to God. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to make his way and a way for us to be reconciled back to the Father. And so we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God, he sent Jesus to live the perfect life in your place, to die the painful death, the death that you deserve. He who knew no sin became sin so that through him, you might become the righteousness of God. And through his death, burial, resurrection, he has overcome Satan's sin, hell, death, and the grave. And he has set you free to where now you can have a relationship with God. That is the message of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We're gonna show it today in baptism. Death, burial, resurrection. That's the message of the gospel. And that is the message that the church is to preach. Here's what it is. Jesus is alive and Jesus is still changing lives. For 2,000 years, this is what the church has has taught. In a few weeks, Peter's going to stand up and he's going to preach the first sermon of the church. And guess what it's about? The resurrection of Jesus. Whenever Stephen's being martyred in Acts chapter 7, what's his message about? the resurrection of Jesus. Whenever Paul is standing before the philosophers in Athens, he preaches about the resurrection of Jesus. And when he's before the Roman authorities facing his 
execution. What's his message about? The resurrection of Jesus. Listen, my friends, if a church is not preaching the gospel, it is not a church, it is a country club or a cult. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher said. He, he said this, all, all roads lead to Rome and all sermons should lead back to the gospel. Like if you're at a church that's preaching social justice, they put their cause above Christ. They're, they're no longer preaching the gospel. If they're preaching self-help instead of self-denial, they're, they're not preaching the gospel. They're preaching a different message, right? If they're, if they're just teaching you, you know, to affirm sin instead of being transformed, that's not, that's not the gospel. That, that's a different message. Like if they're teaching tolerance instead of repentance, then that is not a church, it's not a church you need to be at or a place you need to go to because, my friends, we are not called to be God's editors. We are called to be God's messengers. And the message of the gospel is repent and believe every single one of you for you shall be saved. That is the message the church has been preaching for 2,000 years. And it is the same message that we deliver here each and every week that Jesus is alive and Jesus is still changing lives. That's the message of the gospel, and it's to be preached. The, the third thing is this, the method of ministry. Look what he says, and while staying there, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We're gonna see the book of Acts come alive as we celebrate baptisms today. Y'all excited to see some baptisms? All right, so if you're here to be baptized or you didn't sign up, but you are ready to be baptized today, I'm gonna dismiss you right here at this point. Our team's gonna help you to go change clothes. If you didn't plan on being baptized, we got shirts, we got towels. You wanna make a decision to follow and obey Jesus. We want to help and support you in that. So we're gonna cheer you on as a church. I'm gonna count to three. And if you are being baptized, you're gonna get up and you're gonna run out there and the whole church, we're gonna cheer you on as loud as we can. All right? All right, you ready? Three, Two, one, go be baptized right now. Come on, stand up, look around the room. Look around the room, come on. Praise Jesus. How exciting. Now this is fascinating. Listen to this, guys. So the, the disciples, they, they've been given this big task by Jesus. And then he says, you're not ready. Now, if anybody would be ready, you would think it would be the disciples. Like, they spent three years at JCU. You know what that is? Jesus Christ University, right? They got a master's degree from the master, but they're still not prepared. If they're not prepared, we're definitely not prepared. He said, you need to go and you need to wait. Wait, wait for what? He says, the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. If the disciples needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do ministry, how much more do we need the Spirit in order to do ministry? Listen, the method that God prescribes for church growth is not programs, but power. Jesus says you will be clothed with power from on high. Listen, if there's one thing I've learned in 10 years of ministry is the church needs less programs and more power. We need less things to do 
and we need God to do a lot more. Like, I'm not opposed to programs. Like we, programs are great, events are great, outreaches are great, ministries are great, social media and, and marketing. Like go ahead, get the website, get all the new logos and graphics, be creative, be artsy. You know, I love all those things. But when those things take the place of the most important thing, the church is out of alignment. Because programs will never change a person's life. But whenever they experience the presence of God, when they stand and filled with the power of God, then it will begin to change not only them, but everybody around them. Listen, the church doesn't need more programs. Like people get upset sometimes when they come to redemption because we're not a really, we don't have a lot going on as a church. People say, well, what ministry do you have for our families? Like, well, we have church on Sunday. We got next gen Kids church on Sunday, youth on Wednesday nights. Uh, well, do you have like a men's win- meeting, a women's meeting? Do you have a baby in meet? No, we don't have any of those things. Would you go to underwater basket weaving ministry? Um, no, we don't have that either. Well, what, what do y'all do? We do small groups. Okay, well, do you have anything else? No, no, we don't have anything else. We say, well, why not? Well, here's what we believe. We believe that when people, our goal, our goal is that people would come, they would be filled up, and then they would go out and they would pour out that you would be filled with power. Like my prayer is that people in our church would be so full of the Holy Spirit when you're at work and somebody bumps against you, it spills out on them. Like that's my prayer. My prayer is that our first Wednesday prayer meetings, that people would be so on fire for God. We don't have to take out ads, but when the church is on fire, you don't have to let people know because they'll see it for miles around. That's my prayer is that we'd be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't just need more programs or more things to do or more events. We need to experience the power of God active in our lives. And Acts, you're gonna see all about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's fascinating to me that we live in a day and age where churches are actually trying to downplay the Holy Spirit. They're like, we need to downplay the Holy Spirit. It's just, you know, sometimes whenever he shows up, he's like that crazy uncle. Things get a little weird sometimes, right? Right? Like, we don't wanna get too weird. Have you looked around at the world we live in? Everything's weird. I think it's time for the church to get a little weird. Right? You're like, well, I don't know. Who, do we really need the Holy Spirit in our church? Bro, what are you talking about? You need the Holy Ghost just to go to Walmart. <laughs> we need less Holy Ghost. No, we need more Holy Spirit because we need more power because without the Spirit of God, it's the best that we could do. And I'm telling you guys, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough preacher. I, I'm not wise enough. I'm not, I'm not gifted enough. Oh, but whenever the Spirit of God shows up, that's when things really begin to change. And so we need the power of God. That's the the method that God prescribes for the ministry of the church. It's like this. Trying to do ministry without the Holy Spirit is like trying to fly a kite without wind. Okay, I I don't care how much money you spent on your kite. If there is no power in it, your kite is worthless. And I don't care how big a church is or how small one is or, or, or where it came from or how much whatever it is or, or, or this new building, whatever it might be. I don't really care because if there ain't no power in it, it's never going to serve its purpose. We need the wind of God to blow through this place and to lift us up so that way we can fulfill the calling that God has on us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Which leads to number four, the, the method of evangelism. 
Look at verse six. It says, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive, what's the word? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is important because if you are paying attention in evangelicalism today, you'll know that there is a big debate going on about who does the church exist for? Like who, who should go, to, who, who's the part of the church? And some people are wondering, does the church only exist for Christians or does the church only exist for non-Christians? What's the purpose of the church? Like what, what's, what, what's the, the goal of the church? Does the, does the church exist for Christians or does the church exist for non-Christians? So let's just take a vote. Raise your hand if you think the church exists for Christians. Okay, all right. Now raise, raise your hand if you believe the church exists for non-Christians. All right, now raise your hand if you think this is a trick question. then you're right. Because the answer is, is both. The answer is both. Does it, who, who could be a part of a church? Only Christians can. Only Christians can be members of a church. Non-Christians are welcome, but they're not members of the church. There's a line that's drawn. In order to be a member, you must be a Christian. Who's welcome to get baptized today? Only Christians. If you're not a Christian, you're not invited to be baptized because baptism is the first step in following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you can't be baptized. On first Wednesdays, we take communion. Who's welcome to take communion? Only Christians. When it comes to leadership in a church, can non-Christians be pastors? No. Why? Because they're not Christians. Okay, so in one sense, the church is for who? It's for Christians. I'll let you know, 90% 90 of the times I preach, my sermons are specifically geared towards believers. Non-believers, you're welcome to listen. But the primary focus on me preaching is not evangelism, but it's discipleship. So I, I preach to the Christians in the room, but I also know that every sermon there's non-Christians. And so at the end, we always give you an opportunity to respond by faith. But the church is for who? For Christians. But when we read Acts 1.8, what do we see Christians are, are supposed to do? What is the church supposed to do? To be his witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the church also exists for who? For non-Christians. Christians are called to be the church to reach non-Christians. Here's two functions of the church. You ready to write this down? To worship Jesus and to witness to the earth. That, that's, that's our goal. On Sunday mornings, we gather together. What are we doing? We're worshiping Jesus. And then when church is over, do we stop worshiping Jesus? No. What do we do instead? We go to Chili's. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We go and we witness at Chili's by leaving a really good tip and an invite card, amen? 
So what's our goal? We worship Jesus and then we witness to others. We gather on Sundays and we scatter throughout the week. We equip and we evangelize. We disciple and we deploy. We come and see and we go and tell. That's the goal of the church, to worship Jesus and to witness to the world, to to know who Jesus is and to make him known. That's the goal of the church. It's not either or, it's both and. We got to remember the, 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 the mission of evangelism, which leads to the last one. Number five, the mandate of discipleship. He says this, but you will receive, what's the word? Power. I wish I had more time, but we got so many baptisms today. On first Wednesday in May, I'm actually going to preach a special message at first Wednesday about Acts 1-8, explaining the power that comes from the Holy Spirit for our lives. So come back in May for that. Um, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hashtag Beaumont, Texas. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in the cloud, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went and behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you to into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now listen, I love the Bible. And there's some parts when people read the Bible, they're like, I don't believe that. When I read those parts, I'm like, that's incredible. <laughs> like that's, because put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for just a minute, all right? So for three years, they're learning from Jesus. They saw him walk on water. Like, that's amazing. They saw him feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch kit. That's amazing, right? They, they saw Jesus like calm a storm fantastic. They watched him, they watched him raise a person from the dead. Wow. And then they saw him resurrect from the dead. And then for 40 days, Jesus is just hanging out with them. Like, I got to get time to process this. And as soon as they get their minds around Jesus' resurrection, he teleports to another dimension. Like, imagine being a disciple then. You're like, I know he's God, but that's just too much. <laughs> right? Just, whoop, there he goes. Like, he floated away like a balloon. I was thinking about it this week. They didn't even know what a balloon was. Like, they had never seen something float except for in water and never into the sky. That's, a, that's insane, right? And so what are they doing? They're, just put yourself like, how crazy this? They're looking up and they're like, where did he go? <laughs> How long do you think they were there? Quite some time, you know, because the only way God could catch their attention was to send them two angels. Two angels. They're like, what? oh my gosh, angels are right there. What are you doing here? And the angels are probably like, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, I don't know. I was just like, look at, it's like, Jesus told you to go. Come on, chop, chop. You got stuff to do. <laughs> They're like, hold on, I need a minute. I got some questions. Maybe you're here and you have some questions. That's okay. It's a good place. Join a small group. Ask some questions. So the disciples have some questions. They're like, okay, uh, first question is, where did he go? And they're like, heaven, duh. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Uh, second question, um, how long is he going to be there? That's none of your business. <laughs> okay. Uh, is he coming back? Yes. So what do we do in the meantime? 
obey him. Oh, yeah, we obey him. You know what this is called, my friends? It's called, it's called discipleship. What, what, is, what is the definition of discipleship? It's, it's, to, it's to know who Jesus is and to do the things Jesus did. That's it. It's just following, following Jesus. Like whenever you're a kid, you play the game follow the leader. What was the goal of follow the leader? Just to do whatever the person did. Who's the leader? Jesus. What's your job? To do what he did. That's it. That's all discipleship is. This is why Acts is so important because it shows us in Luke what Jesus did and then Acts shows us how they lived out the life of Jesus in tangible, practical ways. It's, it's just discipleship. And that's how the church has continued to grow for the last 2,000 years. Like there, there's nothing flashy. There's nothing crazy. No, here's what the church, here's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. The same things that Jesus told them to do 2,000 years ago. That's it. I love this quote from, from a, a theologian. He says, may, I, may it be said of me the day that I die, I added nothing new to theology. I love that. Because like in Acts, we see the blueprint for building the church. You just, you just do what Jesus did. And when we all get this mindset around what it means to, to be the church, we're gonna get to see in redemption the same things they saw throughout the book of Acts. Listen, this is fascinating to me. Like we gotta get over this concept that church is just a, a place that we go. No, 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 church is not an event. Church, church, is, church is not a place that we go. Church is not a, a building. What is it? It's God's people gathered together, building the kingdom. Like Jesus never said, go out and, and, and grow a church. No, what does he say? Go out and reach the lost. Equip disciples. Build the kingdom like we, we get this idea that church is just another thing that we add on to our lives. My friends, it is not just another thing we add on to our lives. It is the, the function of the call of God on our lives. Church is not just an activity. No, church is an identity. It's not what you do. It's who we are together. Listen, friends, we don't just go to church. No, we go as the church. It's not just about come and see. It's about go and tell and show the world who Jesus is. And here's how the church has grown for 2,000 years. It's just you told them, who told them, who told them. And here we are, 3.3 billion people later, all across the world, every tribe, tongue, and planet, worshiping Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, 11 people took serious the mandate of discipleship, and more and more and more people got saved until we reached the ends of the earth here in downtown town, Beaumont, Texas, and it's our turn to pass the torch. It's our legacy that we've received. It's the legacy we leave. It is not just our history. It is our destiny because if God did it then, he can do it again. This is the function, the purpose. This is why the church exists. And so as we close, here's my challenge for us. I do this every single year. And this year is no different. According to LifeWay Research, a few years ago, they did a survey, and here's what they discovered, is that 
95% of evangelical Christians have not yet led one person to Jesus in their lifetime. We've gotten really good at having church, but we have forgotten what it means to be the church. Man, we can worship. We have it on every radio station and Spotify playlist. We listen to it while we're doing the dishes and we come to church and we can worship. But I'm worried that the church has forgotten to witness. It's not just my job, guys. It's all of ours. 95, when I, when I hear that statistic, here's what I think, oh my God, 95% of the church is unfaithful to the commands of Christ. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. What I'm saying is that you have not yet experienced the fullness of the Great Commission. You're missing out on something so powerful that God wants for you to be able to lead one person to Jesus. Because you know why you're here? Because somebody else told you. It's the only reason why any of us are here. Because somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. And then 2,000 years later, somebody told you. Guys, it cannot stop with you. and must continue to go forward through us. And so here's my challenge I give every single year. You ready? Everyone gets one. I need a new one because the logo is old now. But everyone gets, gets one. 18 months study through the book of Acts. And you know what God's gonna do in your life? God's gonna do so much in your life. But one of the most special things that you're gonna get the chance to do is to baptize somebody that you know and love because you have personally prayed for them, had conversations with them, took them to coffee, took them to lunch, answered their questions, cried with them, laughed with them, persevered with them, invited them. And one day you're gonna get to stand in these waters and you're gonna get to see them publicly declare that Jesus is their savior. You're gonna get to take your place in the legacy of the church, not just in your salvation, but through leading another person to Christ. This year, everybody gets how many? One. I'm not asking you to get a dozen. I'm not asking you to change the world. I'm just asking you to have a conversation with how many people? One, just one, just one.